0: Episode 25 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Jonas Tawiadodu, who's the Director of Performance at Speedworks and is also a consultant for Multisport. I spoke with Jonas about everything to do with speed, um, including his focus, um, focus areas with team sport players, the importance of projection and acceleration and change of direction, and his approach to speed uh, speed exposure with players. And also the magic in the middle ground um, of open to chaotic environments, and his and his take on that. It was great to get Jonas on the podcast. Um, he is an expert in the field of speed and works with loads of loads loads of top top athletes, from sprinters um, to rugby players, and also has worked in professional football as well. So it was great to have him on and get his input. We are days away, depending on when you're listening to this, we're days away from our next network meeting. So this Friday, which is Friday the 12th of April, we are at Scunthorpe United with Adam Kerr. Um, we are close to confirming some um, other network meetings, some other dates for network meetings, so keep an eye out for that. And also you can go and check out on our website, I'll put the link to Jonas' um, workshop that he's doing at Middlesbrough. Uh, so it's on Thursday the 2nd of May, And he's going to be up at Middlesbrough doing his workshop on speed. Um, So you can go and check that out and you can use a link on the website to go and check it out. And please, as always, share this episode. Be great to get the information out that Jonas spoke about and also head over to iTunes and leave us a review because it does help to get this this podcast to more and more people. The views are growing all the time, but it'd be great to get more coaches, more practitioners aware of the content we're putting out um, and keep these quality guests coming. So thank you very much again for listening. And here's the episode with Jonas. Welcome to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jonas tawi Jonas, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yes, of course. Um, it's been
1: a long time we've we'll been trying to get this done, but I'm happy to get it done now.
0: No, it's tough to have you on, mate. It's someone I've set out to have on for a long time. Um, for anyone that follows your work, they probably know the reason why I've got you on, to talk about anything and everything to do with speed. Um and you are the master at that. So I'm looking forward to getting some insight into what you do. Thanks a lot. Being called a master is um
1: is definitely overpromising.
0: So let's go. <laughs> Hopefully we make this good. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Um so kickers out, Jonas, just take us through your background and then also what you're currently doing
1: okay my background is i i played rugby in school um, and and multiple multiple sports I, I was pretty fast had some hand-eye coordination but I was I, I was always quite fearless and in, in um, challenging myself to learn new skills and um, learn by row and learn how to do it in chaos so th- that was always a fun part of my own athletic journey um, and due to due to injuries and, and probably just not being good enough um, at an elite level I, I dropped out of rugby and started coaching quite early started coaching women's rugby and and PTing, and but you know more more sports related PT at the uni. I was at Hartbury College, so working with equine and football and rugby, and 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 then um, fell into athletics and, and did my master's thesis on Dan Path and learned about his heuristics and his his philosophy, and 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 basically that became a blueprint of how I looked at training um, from that point to now. Um, and and the greatest thing about that is um, Dan's philosophy is a, a eclectic collection of of. Lots of different training philosophies um, and um, he uh, or working under him and taking on his principles and then applying it in my own environment has kind of taught me that the basics always apply the basics of movement of coordination of motor learning of of training and adaptation um, of, of microcycle design and, and, and all of those important things that they apply um, no matter where I go um, even in in um, in like a business environment they, they always apply because you know it's about um, understanding how to create change and move towards peak performance of an individual when there's multiple factors involved um and and what's a um simple um and also what's a risky way of creating that change um so that that's kind of how i i learned that's how i began um and and now i i uh, look after a squad of elite sprinters and long jumpers um who are world medalists olympic medalists and and rank highly and and also have a, a a crop of development guys who, um, you know, my elite guys, most of them I've had for six to eight years. So from the age of 16, 17, um, and I've gone on journey with them and, and now we're, we're starting a new journey with, with, a new group of coaches and athletes. Um, so most of my time, 70% of my week is spent at the track, um, long days at the track, um, in, on, on track sessions and SNC sessions and meetings and reviews and all of that stuff. And, and, and then a third of my week is, is spent in team sports, um, and spent uh, a lot of time with different football clubs over the past four to five years, and um, and rugby clubs, and and now I'm back in, in international rugby. So it's nice to be back where I started.
0: So you just mentioned about team sports, there, Jonas. So obviously this is a, a predominantly a football podcast. So if you <coughs> could you go through some of the the focus areas of speed development for some of the uh, team sport athletes that you work with?
1: Okay, fine. So I think the the first thing to say is that. Track and field coaches and coaching methods have been are 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 old. They they whatever I do now, I always say has been done before me, lifetimes ago. Um, so the reality is the the basics of of training movement um, and and creating adaptation are always the same. Um, but track and field coaches have got a bad name, maybe or just a bad rep in team sports. Um, maybe 10 or 20 years ago purely because um, maybe the focus element um, of movement mechanics um, and how associated uh, the shoulders stay with the hips let's say so just you know good uh, stable upright running mechanics um, and arm action and leg action has been the focus um, which is part of the athletic journey of the the team sport player but only a very um, initial part. It's a foundational part. It's a part maybe you continue to work on throughout their career, but it's it can't be seen as the only part of the week or the the, the key variable you're trying to change. Um, the focus of the team sports guys moves from yes, can you um, you know can you do appropriate movement patterns um, and and be stable whilst doing it? By all means, that that makes sense. That's the the foundation of of all healthy movement, but it, it almost flips, flips on its head and go, okay, well, can you do these stable things in very unstable environments? Um, and so that has probably been my focus over time is learning how to develop the heuristics and basics of good motor, uh, of just good movement patterns, of, of explosive movement patterns that are safe as well as um, effective, but also um, working with team sport coaches and working with um, team sport physios to find ways to, transfer it from simple to chaotic environments
0: i know we had a brief chat before about um you knowing and seeing some of paul kolbeck's work and he was on the podcast on episode uh, i think it was five or six maybe for yeah. possibly four, one of the earlier episodes anyway and um paul often puts a lot of work out about position specific running or movement patterns that Defenders will cover, rather than attackers, and the differences in those positions. Yeah. So how would you approach that with players?
1: Um, well, I think you know how you approach it is being clear on what. So when when we're talking about acceleration and speed, um, if I break it down into uh, into key components I, I would always talk about the first priority being about projection can you move yourself from point a to point b you know from zero to 10 meters um, in acceleration that but projection is in all directions in all planes so it might be can you um be projecting yourself to 10 meters but at that at, you know as you approach the cone um push the center of mass behind you, you know? create a large breaking force, um, drop the center of mass and redirect it behind you sideways. Um, uh, or maybe it's a, so that's maybe a change of direction or maybe it's a swerve, you know, can you be running really fast um, and and actually maintain speed as you change your trajectory a tiny bit, you know, you might run and be running an S curve or you might be running around a player or running in a circle. Um, so I think Paul's work is really good because it it describes how, in the game of football, for, for different positions, how often are they running where their hips and shoulders are um, associated, are, at where they're um, running in a straight line and they're, and they're looking in a straight direction and they're moving in one direction versus, um, well, how many times are they actually accelerating on a half turn? You know, how many times are they accelerating from a, a rotated position? You know, you, you might have a left back who um, spends a lot of his time accelerating sideways and backwards um, and rotating in a counterclockwise position because that's the area of space he's protecting. Um, so that it's, it's really nice to be able to know, um, firstly, what are the fundamentals of movement, of, of being able to project yourself, of being able to be reactive and um, be explosive and, and how to really have a really effective limb exchange. Those are my three principles, really, projection, reactivity and switching. Switching is just limb exchange. Um and then how do you do that in a in when when it applies to stopping, starting, rotating, um crossover you know, doing crossover steps and rotating to an acceleration and or fending off a, a, a an attacker or a defender. Um, that's what I, I really appreciate about, about Paul and so our work at West at West Brom was really fun um and really exciting because him and the other staff were um, really concerned about firstly yes, how do you get your players robust and so they they can be um uh, uh, player availability is high but once you've got a good medical team and a good training culture and you've got that stable within your culture the next question has to be well how do I increase performance um and that might be on a general level you know what are the kind of volumes and sets and reps and exercises um that work within our microcycle, within how our manager works <laughs> which can always change if you change manager your, your week setup might be completely different um and um I kind of got off, off, off train of thought there. But, yeah, essentially, I I, I like Paul's work. I really like it. Um, I was al- I've was i always been interested and talked to him a lot about his PhD and, and, and the collection of this started a while ago, and, and it's really impressive to see where he's gone with it. Just the quality and intensity um, and the density of running or running specific drills in the week, then you are a step closer. Um, some of that might come in a really small unit, before the session, like you said, you know, if, if you have the ability to do some resisted runs, run over some wickets, maybe um, in a chunk of maybe 15 minutes before uh, a small sided game, then you are a step closer in, in, in preparing the players to deal with the intensity and uh, demands of their game. We're not talking about one on ones and we're not talking about um, teaching uh, or challenging perception action. I'm just talking about. Getting players their reflexes, their, their or the, the the neural components necessary to to create large decelerations and accelerations, and, and also be able to dissociate um, their trunk from their pelvis while, whilst doing that. If you're teaching players who to accelerate hard, project themselves well whilst rotating. If you can get that in place on a, a on almost a microdosed approach to it throughout the week, then um, I think you see a lot more reduction in uh, speed-related issues. And and we've seen it. I've seen it over the past four or five years uh, at a range of different teams. And the better teams that do it um, seem to spend less money and time on injury-related costs. Um, the, The best teams that do it seem to have physios who are really keen to learn about running mechanics and teaching running mechanics and acceleration decel mechanics and how to transition that into, um, football specific actions. Um, and those same physios would say that the players that were highly dependent on, um, uh, massage and, and preparatory work prior, like trackside type or performance therapy prior to, um, training or games were this, were the same players who reduced that reliability. that that there was something that they couldn't necessarily explain and some could explain because they understood understood the process, but essentially an increase in, um, a bit of training load and intensity that was specific, um, and was economic in movement patterns was just reducing the wear and tear on players. Um, so that's the first thing that you see. Second thing you see is that you, you probably see older players reaching higher top speeds in games and in training. Um, and you, and you see more of that happening, in a part of a season that you probably don't expect. You see more of it happening in, um, in heavily congested um, periods of of competition, which is for most people a surprise. Um, But it's just the nature of training. Actually, you should get stronger and faster and fitter throughout a season, even if the training loads increasing because your capacity to deal with that load should also increase. Um, But only if your microcycle is designed in a way that allows you to recover. Um, so often a different tangent there but have I answered your question?
0: Yeah definitely I think that's top information because a lot of coaches who will listen to this will one probably be limited on time in a certain way um, mm. they might only have a few minutes before a session at the start of a warm up maybe to do some work so you've, really, you've covered the approach that you take with that which I think is awesome um, so I hope they take plenty from that but I wanted to hear, you touched on it a little bit but how would um some of the underpinning qualities like strength conditioning fit into your training cycle with footballers? Um, it probably fits in more and more as you get to know a
1: player and get to um, gain their trust and trust to the manager and, and, and their belief or understanding that their training capacity generally can be a lot more than what they think. Um, and and with that, you have to under promise and over deliver. If you if you provide an SNC session, no matter how long it is, and the DOMS that is created is so much so that the player feels incapable of doing what they want to do uh, at the next football session. Um, and and they, especially if they if performance at that session de- determines their um, selection on the weekend, then yeah, you're you're going to have a player that doesn't want to come back to, the, to that or doesn't want to repeat that session because they don't want to be that sore. Um, there is a process of teaching players that it's okay to be sore um, and that you can plan when they are sore and when they are recovered. And once you have a player that can understand that, you can do a lot more in, in the week and in the session. Um, I, uh, in terms of targeting specific uh, strength and conditioning towards, uh, towards sprinting, um, I, look, the fundamentals apply right? So, you know, big bums equals high speed. Yeah. And, and strong quads equals really good deceleration. Um, and, um, really, uh, uh, so a good work capacity and motor control in your lumbar pelvic, um, region. So can you extend your hips and flex your hips within true and true hip? Can you create true hip extension and flexion? So true hip extension and flexion to me is, can you extend your your leg, push push your leg back and, in an acceleration um, without overuse of your lumbar spine? Um, and athletes talk about being in banana back. If you if you fall into a running pattern where you're having to extend your lumbar spine too much and push on the ground for far longer than you should, you create like a big curve in your back. So it's kind of like a banana back. Um, and if you have to bend your, uh, flex your, chest forwards to lift your knee up to your chest and hitch forwards then you're you're just bending at like the spine forwards to lift your knee your knee isn't actually going through true range you are going to you are moving towards it um, that p- purely understanding that as a focus and then applying it to your um, your sNC uh, always seems to help the athletes make sense of why am i doing what I'm doing in the gym um, and, and again, so that, that, it's all about creating buy-in awareness, understanding, and then actually some of your cues in the gym, some of the, um, awarenesses you want the athletes to create, um, in the gym, you can be talking about what you're doing on the field in the gym. If you, if you're spending a lot of time doing resisted running crossover, resisted stuff or um, a range of different plyometrics, uh, where, which need control as well as power, um, association as well as disassociation of joints especially hip and shoulder that awareness um, in the gym in basic movements and more complex movements really helps you try to solve the puzzle um, if you're working with a player on a, on a pitch who um, let's say we go back to that left back and the left back is um, really good at tracking back and accelerating rotated um, but Uh, when it's when it's time to actually commit to the acceleration let's say the the attacking player kicks the ball ahead and now it's a foot race Um, when it's time to run actually they don't know how to connect the joints they don't have to create a really powerful hip extension and have a really stable ankle to push off of well you have a player that is is good at maybe making decisions and good at um, tracking a player but when it comes down to it can't run very fast um, so uh, attacking those things in a resisted run or resisted bound or just a loaded uh, lunge with a with a drop step or whatever it is you decide to do, um, that uh, that I think you have to always connect it to the the players' um, emotional connection and 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 the manager's emotional connection, and that is being better on the pitch. Players want to be available, so robustness and play availability is high. But actually, if you want to keep them motivated and want them to want to do more work away from uh, organised training, you need to get them to understand how that extra work helps them towards where they want to go.
0: I love that you've highlighted that in terms of individual players because um, a lot of people we speak to, they'll, they'll highlight things like that. So it'll be that certain coaches believe that All players should work on on technical work and to do with speed, and some believe that it should all be done in football. But you're saying Mm there that in terms of the left-back, if they've got um, good understanding and positioning and and good awareness on the pitch, they're able to um, see and and react well to external stimuli and other players and the position on the pitch, the position of the ball and all the rest of yeah, it.
1: Yeah.
0: But they just simply can't produce enough force or enough speed to, to get there. you highlight highlighting an area that they need to work on there. Yeah, so-
1: being able to organise their pelvis. And, you know, John Pryor talks a lot about or at least I've heard him talk about a concept of acceleration imbalance. So it's about, okay, fine, you know how to accelerate yourself well, project yourself well, and organize your limbs well, but you're, when you're perturbed or having to do it from various positions, you don't know how to do it. Um, so that might be a scenario you, you have of players that actually uh, applying it into the context is an issue, or they just don't, like you said, don't have the fundamental ability to do it. Or maybe they do. You might have a scenario with the same player when it's time to go, if the player kicks it down the wing and down towards the touchline, um, they can chase. But if they cut inside of them, that, that player is only skilled at, at turning counterclockwise. If you have a scenario like that, that, that player will actually turn... So let's say the the attacking player cuts inside, the, the defending player would only go the wrong way. If you go counterclockwise to catch the player, you're running the wrong way. You need to, you need to turn clockwise. And a lot of players... Um, Strug, uh, have a dominant leg for rotation. Just like we have a dominant leg for pushing and a dominant leg for being reactive and stabilising our pelvis, the same kind of thing applies in rotation. Some people are really good at throwing their shoulders to help them rotate and control their torso, and some players aren't. And we know that uh, the ability to control your torso um, and, and have pre-activation in rotation and, and side lean, maybe dealing with a, with a change of direction, is a big contribution factor to, um, to ACLs. And, and and even ankle-related injuries, but I think there's a lot of data in the ACL group. You know, the the guys over in Ireland, um, Andy Frankenmuller and his group have have really shown that quite clearly. So, organising your torso whilst accelerating, being able to associate and disassociate your shoulders and and your torso when your legs continue to run and be effective in projecting you is a is a massive skill set um, that that we always want. And then the, the problem we have in a team sport environment is um is figuring out who needs what or better yet a more robust way of looking at it is finding ways to give everything everyone everything in at least a little bit um, so it might not be optimal but it's, it's robust and and um I've, recently i saw a paper from uh mladen who who talks about that a lot and it, it makes total sense i think the best coaches in the world for decades have been applying those kind of barbell type philosophies
0: in terms of your approach that you use with with teams, you spoke there about um, exposing players to different movements, and I wanted yeah. to ask you about how you'd approach a full squad of players. So, would you just look to expose every player to as many movements as possible to try and increase their toolbox, or would you mm. group players into small groups that you think need certain movements, or how would you approach that? Yeah,
1: I think I think you I think- you you apply apply all of those types of philosophies and organisations. So, I think you firstly, yes, you're my my important point, of course, is if I'm given the opportunity to warm up the team, 15 to 15 minutes to half an hour, sometimes with England, it's eight, eight minutes um, if I'm lucky. Then I would try to expose them to the key bits that I know are going to help. The key running drills, the key resisted bits that I know, um, and the key calisthenics um, and dynamic stabilities that I know will um, sort their bodies out and, and get them in a place where. They, they get rid of some of their inhibitions um, and, and they activate some key things and stabilize some key things. So yeah, for sure, everyone needs that because not, not because they're players or foot, not because they play football, but because they're humans most of the time, at least. Um, and so we, we give them what they need. And then, like I said earlier, if you can influence um, the rest of training or any other parts of training, then, then yeah, if you have a coach that is happy to do some running in whatever kind of guys, um, then... Yeah, if you can box the, the, the middle, the central type players who do more excel, decels, and if you can box the wing um, and, and, and the attacking players who may maybe do a bit more um, high-speed running and longer runs and curbing runs, if you can box them off and in that same session have two groups or three or four groups performing um, running, distances and speeds and even work to us ratios that are similar to what they would need, then yeah, you are another step closer to um, improving the whole team. Um, And and you might do that in various ways. You might do that in running relays. You may may set up a relay um, and and have different groups doing a similar task. Um, uh, Sorry, you might have different groups um, who are grouped together towards what they need or you might might be a relay literally where you have um, two central players and two wing players in the team and, and there's a variety of different tasks that have to happen and, and making it competitive and making it team makes it easier and you control the work, ratio, rest, the work rest ratios through just good training design, I guess. Um, and then maybe you have um, the non-starting players or the reserve players who aren't getting a lot of load and time and love and so you have a further opportunity after training that maybe there's no extra running happening that week, but you've got um, players who, need, who, who aren't tired from the previous game and may not be playing the next. Um, and so you have more training loads you can manipulate around them. Um, and, and then again, it, you might go the route of um, developing their strengths and what they need for their positions, or you might go down, down the route of problem-solving and developing some weaknesses, um, that might be one-to-one that might be in small groups so yeah I think you you do have a variety of options across a week um, and so that's why we always focus on just having a basic training menu knowing what to attack for different elements of of football and and athleticism and and then pitching it at appropriate levels each week you, I, I would love to have a and I, I have a template for how it works but Every day brings and every hour brings a new scenario a player that doesn't think he's going to play is now told he is going to play. Does he do your session still or does he do a modified session? Uh, it probably depends on the player their thoughts around work capacity and any any other anxieties around training um, you You may plan for a very light session but it's you know you the the coach has decided that the next day is off or that they're going to do some extra. What do you do? Do you just bin it or do you find an appropriate level for for that group of players. And that's, that's the bigger challenge um, in a team environment. And for me as a consultant, it's, it's a bit less of a challenge, but no, it doesn't really reduce because um, I can't break players. Um, and so, you, you, but yet, yeah, I'm uh, employed to increase performance and robustness. So, you know, a lot of, I, I do know um, or do come across a, a number of team sports practitioners who are so fearful of speed so fearful of doms um, and applying a stimulus where the players may come in sore. Um, and some of it's purely because they just don't know adaptation or they don't understand um, the process of, of, uh, of highs and lows. Um, or the environment creates so much anxiety that even if they do understand it, it's not worth the risk. Um, because if your job is just to put players on the pitch and how they perform is you're not measured by, then you just put them on a the pitch. Um, whereas in all of my capacities, I've been brought in to make people better or improve systems um, or keep people healthy. Um, and so it's forced me to come away from being a track coach or, or from a rehabber, which I work in a lot, and, and actually look at look at training from the, 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 the coach's perspective. Look at the key skills that they want their players to... You know, often you have... Um, Let's say you have two, two different players in the same position who a manager really likes one particular player and wants to play him, but he has a, a glaring weakness, maybe a glaring weakness in defence um, or in, in certain uh, uh, parts of the game. Um, that coach now has an issue. Do I just buy another player? I might not have the budget or it might not be available. Do I play the player I don't want to play? Well, it's often that does happen. Um, or can this player get better at that? weakness or can he at least stabilise it um, and then my job is okay, is it a physical weakness do I, do I just attack it from an under, underpinning physical quality is it a technical weakness or is it a perception action, is it a tactical weakness um, and shit I, 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 sorry, um, I ra- <laughs> I'd rather just attack all three, I'd rather make sure that I, I understand where, where the underpinning quality is, it, where it is like if I can rate it or if I can analyse it, if I can just find a movement that focused on it, uh, and I'd attack it, maybe in a warm-up, um, maybe with some mobility exercise, maybe an SNC program. Um, then the technical, well, that's that's my gift. Like I'll, I'll figure out how to get the athlete to make sense of their movements and their coordinations and stabilities and, and at least help them um, problem solve themselves. Um, and in the tactical well, that's where I lean on technical coaches. You, you just have to watch enough of your of your sport and training of your sport to understand the types of situations um, and understand good um, and bad decision making based on that scenario. Like if I don't know a sport, it takes me longer to get to know the sport. But you know, over the past ten years, I've kind of been exposed to enough really good coaches where I can kind of steal their heuristics and and watch them and listen to them coach and make sense of it. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you can address all, all levels of the continuum throughout the week for a particular player or set of players um, towards what they need in, in a way that is organised, that makes them a bit sore but not so sore that they, ca- they can't recover. And if you can go on a journey with them and, and, and empower them and teach them to problem-solve, you know, I've, I left teams and I've gone back um, or I've talked to old players and they still do an element of the routine that, that we set up for them. Um, or they still have... Um, uh, uh, a lot of older players actually become very reliant on S and C. Like you, you'll be surprised the amount of older players who will get in early to do some upper body weights and some some low level, low level core or some some uh, low level pliers moving into maybe more specific ones. And usually it's injury history that that guides that. You know the 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 guy of an Achilles or an ACL or um, who's fallen down and hurts hurts their shoulder a lot, um, or the players that are have. Been around long enough, and their testosterone has peaked at 25, and now they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and they realize they're not the same. Actually, those are guys that are really, really, really easy to influence because um, you show them a system, or you 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 empower them with a process, and they feel the benefits, and then they just take it on. The harder players and the harder teams are uh, to work with are teams that um, are full of young talent. Who can sleep three hours and turn up the next day and still um score worldies and, and and be great players that's hard it's It's hard when you have a team that can just buy any player uh, I saw an article on um i think martin Boucher's website um and the title which was quite provocative and I think was on purpose was uh, why develop speed um just buy the best players and and that what well, that is what a lot of teams do right. Um, and a lot of coaches and managers across sports can get away with breaking loads of players. But if they break a couple of eggs and they find a good one who's robust enough for their system, um, then that's often good enough. Um, but this, the scenarios that I work well in are with you know teams and players who um, want to be better and don't think just throwing money at something is going to solve it.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's top information. It ties in really well with what um, in the last episode I spoke to Tom Little, who's at Preston, and he was speaking about managing the microcycle and how important mm. the microcycle was because football, and I'm sure a lot of other sports are similar, but the con- it's constantly changing the environment. The yeah. environment changes depending on the result, depending on the coach, depending on whether the coach is still there. Like, it's always mm. changing. It's good to hear that you spoke about a um, very similar approach and being flexible and adaptable. In those circumstances as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Having your heuristics is important at
1: first. Um, and then creating a, a, a an adaptable philosophy and agile approach to uh, applying those heuristics. That's where you can't, you can't, um, a mentor of mine, Michael Falaka, talks about you can't microwave experience. Right. Um, you, you, you can read all the books and you can have a mentor and you can do all the important things to learn the heuristics and make sense of it. But Applying it at the right time and knowing when to bin it and knowing when to, could to do more than you planned, yeah, that always requires experience. And, and, and I make less mistakes now than I did um, 10 years ago. Um, and, and, and I hope to make less in, in 10 years' time.
0: And uh. I- I've tied that into with the last question Jonas in terms of what do you think some of the biggest mistakes players make so whether that's players trying to develop speed on their own like privately away from the clubs or at a lower level or in terms of mistakes that clubs will make or not necessarily mistakes but how they could um increase the effectiveness of a a program for developing speed well I think like, like a lot of people start to say a lot and and um
1: Robin, the, the physio derby, uh, I love the guy. He's, he, he always talks about the speed vaccine and creating um, and developing the right, earning the right to do speed. Um, and I think often people think doing speed or running at 100% or 101% is the only way to develop speed in, in, in sprinters in, or in running athletes. Um, whereas, so that's probably the first mistake, that pitching it at too higher intensity, is, and, and too and maybe too dense a, a microcycle can be the big issue. I mean I'm a sprint coach, but I spend more time um, learning from SNC and physiotherapy and, osteop- and osteotherapy uh, osteopathy sorry <laughs> um, than anything because it's very easy to break athletes. It's very easy to break players by shooting too high um, and not recognizing um, or not developing and earning the right to run fast. So finding um, exercises, drills, training design that um, has maybe a more extensive development on the key ca- key contributions to, to running fast um, is probably a bigger priority for me than getting people on the pitch, um, on your mark, set, go, run as fast as possible. Let's look at your GPS. Did you run a PB? That that isn't speed work. I think developing underpinning qualities um, weighs a lot higher on my priority list. So big. So the bigger mistakes is doing things too fast, too often. Um, the uh, the ways to be more economic is understanding if you're if you're watching the running cycle or or rehabbers. Rehab is the easiest example. If you pull your hamstring at the proximal end, um, and if you know it was running at high speed and at at that point your leg was um, uh, just landing under you so at the the point of contact on the ground you felt you're in a long lever position and maybe you're toeing and and landing outside and maybe that's a different discussion on on running economy but let's say a specific point on a running cycle you hurt your hamstring jordan mendiguchi has done a great job of going okay look hip orientated injuries versus knee so proximal versus distal hamstring injuries and, and also medial versus lateral well, should dictate how you rehab, um, should dictate how you um, how you not just rehab but continue your S and C process. Um, so understanding athletes' injury history is the easiest way to make them faster. Most of the time, when I rehab players or athletes, they come back faster because often the re- the, the place that was hurt was associated with weakness and poor technical application and it might not be that that place hurt because it was very weak it might be that place hurt because it was overused due to a weakness at another point in the chain or the muscle group or the running cycle so i just that's an important caveat i don't think injuries are always due to weakness prior for that area it could just be overuse then the real question in rehab is then understanding or in the speed training is understanding um if there's overuse here, what is underused? You know, why is there an asymmetrical pattern, or why is there an uneconomical running cycle? So maybe that's the the the. So if the biggest problem is overuse of pure speed work, I think the biggest or the best solution is understanding running, the running cycle, um, and how you can target um, adaptation to specific muscle groups and specific muscle patterns. Because once you understand that you make players healthy and more robust and more um, economical in their movement. Um, so that that would always be the direction. And that's why I have a lot of physios and rehabbers in my network because um, once you understand everything about loading and loading parameters and fascicles and eccentric training and occlusion and, and all the important things that are necessary to create focus adaptation... Um, once you understand that, you get to a point where you're like, OK, so well, how do I teach the movement pattern? How do I make sure what we've built, they can apply? I've built the hardware, but I haven't necessarily got a high understanding on the software. And, and so that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And, and actually, you find that therapists, as a result, really flip a bit in their philosophy and their understanding of things. They, they're able to do less um, uh, general movements and able to coach more specific movements and as a result, get a quicker response. Um, so again, often a tangent, sorry, mate. But yeah, if the biggest strength or the the biggest problem people make is, uh, running too fast too often, um, or not knowing enough running drills to run at 90% and 85% or even 75%, but yet still get very specific, um, stimulus to key areas. That would be a weakness for some people. And then maybe the strengths or the, the really effective practitioners um, have, a, like I said about Dan Path at the beginning, an eclectic uh, philosophy on training and rehab and creating stimulus and adaptation uh, and coaching of movements. Um, so I'm sure that's very loud in the background. <laughs> um, so, yeah, does, does that answer your question? I'm off, I'm off, I'm off on one today, mate. So... Yeah, you've got to stop me if I'm not going in the right direction.
0: No, honestly, I'm leaving you because the information is absolutely quality. So I'm sure everyone will appreciate it. So that's why I've not been cutting you off because it's brilliant to hear. Um, Jonas, I'm not going to keep you in for any longer because I know you're away right now. I know you're away on a, on a training camp. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there anywhere that people can follow you or, or watch the word? That you yeah, need? so um, Speedworks Training
1: on, on Instagram. I think SpeedWorks Speedworks.training. Um, and maybe the same thing on Twitter. Um, and eat, sleep, train underscores my my private Twitter I and mean my, my private Instagram. Um, and um, we're running a, a range of courses, uh, ch- basically trying to apply at a low level the, the the concepts that we apply in a team sport environment. Um, so that that is a, a course that will come out soon, and, and we've got some workshops coming up soon as well. So just just look look out for where we are and what we're doing, and, and I'm sure you'll find us
0: if you send us the information about all that as well mate, when it when it's available then we'll put that out as well awesome
1: awesome we are um when's this podcast going to go out
0: uh this will go out uh next week so it'll be the uh
1: one second great if it's next week no problem we have a workshop in middlesbrough um at middlesbrough training ground in um in four weeks I think on the 2nd of May Thursday the 2nd of May in the the evening so if anyone's up there um, please look out and and, and come see us come say hi the details will be on our website
0: awesome
1: top man Jonas thanks a lot no worries buddy thanks for the chat talk to you soon
0: cheers mate Massive thank you to Jonas for coming on the podcast. It was great to speak to him and get his input on speed and his approach that he takes with team sport players. Um, Some of my biggest takeaways were um, his approach where he spoke about listening first before he acts. So looking back and um, standing back even and looking at the programme and then gradually putting things into place rather than going in, taking your programme in, trying to implement it from day one. Also his views on um, technique and the game insight link. So him looking and deciding what area a play would need, whether they need to work more technically on the movements and the, and the shapes they should hit on the pitch or whether they need to work more on the, the game insight, reading play, uh, reacting to stimuli. And then also is when, when he mentioned about coaches being fearful of speed and that being due to, a lot of the time, a lack of understanding and also the increased risk. But if that risk is managed, then obviously there can be the benefits to exposing players to speed. And also everything he touched on in terms of speed exposure as well, I thought it was really, really good to get his input and his insight on it. Um, You can go and follow Jonas. He's on Twitter, at Train underscore. And then, like I said, at at the start of the podcast, we've also put the link to his seminar, his workshop that he's going to do up at Middlesbrough. On Thursday, the second of May. So, if you click on uh, Network Meetings and Events, uh, the Network Meeting and Events tab on our website, which is footballfitfed.com, you can click uh, the seminar link on there. That'll take you straight through, and you can go and book onto that with Jonas. So, I'm sure there'll be some quality information that he'll be taking you through on that. Like I said at the start of the episode as well, we'll be announcing some more network meetings very soon. So, it'd be great to see some of you guys on that um, and interact with you and meet you in person. But Once again, thank you very much for listening. Please share the show. Please tag people in it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Share it and go over to iTunes, leave us a review. A five-star review would be great. And leave a short comment on which um, shows you've enjoyed the most which guests you've enjoyed and then also maybe get in contact on which guests you'd like to see as well we've got plenty more people in the pipeline and there's already some um some future episodes recorded but it would be great to hear some recommended guests from you guys as well some people that you want to hear on the show so thank you once again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week